to even admit you're angry is an act of vulnerability. To come to somebody and say, you made me angry, even if they're completely in the wrong, gives the possibility of reconciliation because you're admitting your weakness. But no, not if you won't admit or own your anger. If you just criticize people and you will not own up to your anger, you not only destroy the ability to reconcile, but meanwhile, you are being angry, you're creating a root of bitterness, but roots become shoots, become trees, become forests. And if you will not admit your anger, you will be utterly controlled by it. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we are continuing our series, A Proverb a Day in May. In this message, Timothy Keller will break down one of the prominent themes within the book of Proverbs. That is the subject of anger. What is anger? How do we relate to it? And how do we understand it within a biblical context to be angry and sin not? Stay tuned for that message. But first, we're going to be talking a little bit about a strategy to reach New Englanders with the gospel as we're joined by a missionary, Matt Rhodes. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. For the past 10 years, I've lived here in New England, and throughout that time, I have been very conscientious about developing a strategy to reach New Englanders with the gospel of Christ, to advance the kingdom of God. Now, over 10 years and, and having a ministry that expands New England and the Northeast, it's given me a little bit of a platform to watch and to observe. That's what I like to do. I was a, the baby uh, with two older sisters for a long time, and as a result, I, I was able to, to learn how to watch and observe what was happening around me without getting my nose stuck in the middle of things. Uh, but I've been watching and observing a lot that's happening here in New England. In fact, uh, I've been to a lot of conferences that have really left me a little discouraged because we bring speakers from across the globe, across the world that come to New England and they talk about strategies on how to reach New Englanders, strategies that might work in California and Texas and the, and the West and the Midwest, uh, but they don't work here in New England. We really need a lot of people who have boots on the ground and know how to strategize within their own community about how to reach their neighbors with the gospel of Christ. Uh, while those strategies might be effective in other places, we need a different strategy to reach New Englanders. We're, today we're joined by Matt Rhodes, and he's written a book called No Shortcut to Success, a manifesto for modern missions. And Matt, one of the things that I really appreciate about your book is that you are developing strategies that are not based upon regions. They're not based upon different communities. They're really asking the questions about how we develop a mission and a strategy to reach our communities that is biblically based. Yeah, I you know I, I'm not familiar with the, with sort of the issues of ministry you encounter in New England directly, but it makes a lot of sense to me because I think one of the things that sociologists are telling us is that the, the United States is becoming not only culturally but far more geographically divided as well, and so the blue states are far bluer than ever before, red states are far redder than ever before, and where I am in coastal California, maybe maybe it's a different flavor of um, you know, of, of difficulty in, in sharing the gospel with people. But people just have a whole different set of questions than they did when I was a kid. What, is, what do you propose, then, is the way for us to, as you say in the book, correct the course, to get back on track? If we have uh, kind of given in to strategies that are uh, pragmatic without actually being biblical, what is the way to correct the course and to, to focus in on a strategy that is biblical? Uh, on our liberal coasts, for example, <laughs> yeah. or, or, or more widely speaking. Well, in in general, I think uh, your your book here is addressing the the modern uh, take on missions. So, 
Um, obviously here I'm thinking in our personal context, but I think globally as well, we need to be considering how to uh, kind of readjust our, our sights on what, what missions is, uh, how it actually is measured and the success that we are seeking. Yeah, I think I, I think I understand where you're, where you're coming from. To me, what's key is that in the scriptures, God almost always works supernaturally to reveal himself, but works through human means. <clears throat> and so we need to, to really value those human means that I am going to win people to Christ in human friendships through answers to human questions in human languages with human persuasion. And I, I think part of why we're, you know, losing ground locally maybe is because the, the culture has changed so rapidly and we're struggling to keep people in churches. So most of the books that are being written now about issues that are of concern to people are just trying to define what the Bible says and to keep the church orthodox. We, you know, I think we're a step behind actually reading out, reaching out to the wider society and saying, this is why it's not just biblical. This is an attractive message. It's a good message and a true one. Um, and certainly overseas as well. I, I think that the, the lack of focus on things like language, on being aware of the cultures we're speaking into, is, is, is damaging us. Mm. It seems that there should be just some black and white strategy, really, to reach people, because it's the gospel, and it's something that's simple and it's basic, and every Christian should be able to, to know it and be able to recite it and be able to communicate that with other people. Uh, but uh, the enemy is great and very crafty, and the problems that come always are are directed at a way to subvert that and move move it a little bit off center. And that's why we have to constantly be reevaluating it. We can't assume the gospel, right? We have to know that and guard it and and be able to know how our culture is responding to it, so that we can be able to communicate into that culture. Absolutely, and people are just so multifaceted. You know, but before I got married, uh, I had a number of older men at my church tell me what makes what it is that makes a woman happy, <laughs> and you know, without exception, each one of them told me what it was that makes their wife happy, <laughs> and so that was that was interesting to me. But it it just showed how there's so many different ways of being married, and I I think we have this we have to kind of apply that same flexibility in our evangelism. Each person comes to Christ with a unique cultural background and a unique set of questions and issues. And yeah, Christ is the same. His message is the same, but there's these issues we have to get through on the way there that, that, that are going to be different for each culture and I, each person. I think that's one of the reasons people get discouraged in sharing their faith or discouraged in missions is because they've tried somebody else's strategy and it didn't work. And uh, they feel that that sense of failure. They feel that they don't know what they're doing, and eventually they give up. And there have been many different stra strategies, not just in, in world missions, but also in talking about evangelism. This is something that really requires us to work through and to be flexible, and also to understand the context of the audience that we're ministering to. Uh, that When you start to do that, when you start to do what you're really prescribing in the book, there, there is a level of excitement to see what God is doing in the midst of of his people to spread his kingdom. Absolutely. And, you know, I, 
even though I think there have been some excesses on the field, we, we still are seeing God work in surprising ways, both overseas and, and also we're seeing it here at home. But I, I think what we are experiencing now more than ever is, is a much, certainly at home, a much higher relational cost. Um, mm. we, we are on the defensive now in a lot of relationships and we have to endure that patiently and, and with love in order to win people's respect. Mm. And to, to win our right, you know, for them to hear us and overseas, I suppose it's always been that way in, to an extent. Um, but this is part of you know, the, the, the love that we extend to people in Christ. We've been talking with Matt Rhodes, the author of No Shortcut to Success, a manifesto for modern missions. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call, 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. Perhaps you've been joining us over the course of this month, reading a proverb a day in May. And maybe you've picked up on a prominent theme within the book of Proverbs, the theme of anger. How do we deal with anger and how do we address it in our day-to-day lives? The Bible tells us to be angry and sin not, and yet that is seeming uh, to be harder and harder to do, especially as we confront anger and the, the way in which it affects us. Well, this weekend, we're looking at that subject as Dr. Timothy Keller takes us to the book of Proverbs to unpack how the Bible describes anger, when to use it, when not to use it, whether or not we can use it, because we fall short of the glory of God. How do we deal with anger, and how do we relate to it? How do we have wisdom when it comes to such a a touching emotion? Here is Timothy Keller. There's four things we're going to learn about anger that you have to know to be wise its dangerous power, its basic goodness, why it goes wrong, and how it can be healed. Uh, First of all, uh, its dangerous power. The uh, anger is an explosive, literally. It's the dynamite of the soul. And as a result, anger has the power to disintegrate things, to pulverize things like an explosive. First of all, it can disintegrate your body. A quick-tempered man displays folly. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. Secondly, anger doesn't disintegrate the body, but also community. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension. Anger, third of all, disintegrates your wisdom, that is, your ability to make wise choices at all. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. When you get angry, it distorts your view of things, your view of the situation, your view of yourself, your view of the world, your view of others, uh, so that you make stupidly destructive choices. But not only does anger disintegrate the body and community and your ability to make wise choices, it actually destroys your will. It actually destroys your ability to make intelligent choices at all. Uh, The last one to look at here would be a hot-tempered man must pay the penalty if you rescue him you will have to do it again and again and again. Of all the emotions, anger is the one most like an addictive substance because anger leads you to denial. And in order to stay in denial about how angry you are and how much your anger is at the root of your problems, you have to get even angrier. On the other hand, the Bible says astoundingly positive things about uh, anger Because according to the Bible, anger is basically a good thing. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. 
The ideal in Proverbs, the ideal in the Bible is not no anger, but slow anger is the ideal. Slow to anger, which is the mark of the wise person here, is an attribute of God. The Bible again and again says God is slow to anger. In fact, when Moses meets God on the mountain of Sinai in Exodus 34, and Moses says, show me your glory. Tell me the essence of who you are. God says, I will declare my name for you. And you know what he says? He says, I am the Lord, slow to anger. That's my glory. I get angry, but I'm slow about it. Becky Pipper puts it perfectly when she says, think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might toward strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is, and the final form of hate is indifference. The more a father loves his son, the more he's angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. And if I, a flawed, self-centered woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them? Now, see, here's what it's saying. True love always gets angry. In fact, we can even be stronger than that. Anger is nothing but love in motion when someone or something you love is under threat. And that's the reason why when the Bible says God is angry all the time, it's because he loves us. And if you look at Jesus, who the Bible continually says is perfect, you'll see him getting angry. Well, you say, if it's really that good a thing, why is it so destructive? How does anger or why does anger go wrong? If it's true that anger was originally just a form of love. Disordered love creates disordered anger. Why is it that we get so much more angry if we're we're snubbed? We get so much more angry about a snub than we are about the injustice to a group of people in another part of the world or the city. There's certain things that make us incredibly angry when the cause really would be warranting only a little bit of anger. And there are other causes for which we ought to be incredibly angry, but because of our selfishness and our pride and our ego and our disordered loves, we're hardly angry at all. Loving anger always seeks to do a surgical strike on the evil. But in disordered anger, you don't go after the problem, you go after the person. Anger is at the bottom of so many of our problems, and it leads to wars, and it leads to oppression, and it leads to so much of the misery in this world. How do we heal it? All right, three things you have to do. The first thing you have to do is admit it. All of the Proverbs that say a wise man or woman is not no anger or blow anger, but slow anger. Well, the, the key to being angry well, that's what slow anger is, being angry smart, being angry and using your anger well, being angry well, is you have to be, you have to own your anger, you have to admit your anger, you have to be in touch with your anger, you have to know how angry you are. It's absolutely critical to even admit you're angry is an act of vulnerability, isn't it? To come to somebody and say, you made me angry, even if they're completely in the wrong, gives the possibility of reconciliation because you're admitting your weakness and then they can admit their weakness. But no, not if you won't admit or own your anger. If you just criticize people and you will not own up to your anger, you not only destroy the ability to reconcile, but meanwhile, you are being angry, you're creating a root of bitterness, but roots become shoots, become trees, become forests. And if you will not admit your anger, you will be utterly controlled by it. The second thing you have to do besides admitting your anger is analyze it. What makes you angry is not what's happened to you, but what you tell yourself about what's happened to you. See, your anger comes from what you believe, not from what people are doing to you. You've got to know that. Whenever you get angry, say, what is this big thing that's so important to me that I'm defending? So you have to admit it, you have to analyze it, but thirdly, you have to transform it. Chapter 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. If someone comes up to you with a harsh word, respond gently. And look at the last two verses. 
If you have an enemy, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. Now, of all the wisdom literature of the ancient world, this is over the top. There was Egyptian, Sumerian, there was a lot of other parts of the world that had wisdom literature, and they all talked about self-control, but this is beyond self-control. This is not just saying, don't revenge yourself on your enemies. This is saying, save your enemies. I mean, you know, redeem your enemies. We were angry at God. God didn't withdraw, and he didn't come in guns blazing. He went to the cross, and on the cross, he absorbed our disordered rage without paying back. And he didn't just take our undeserved anger. He also took the anger we deserved without paying back. The gentlest word, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you see Jesus Christ taking our disordered rage at infinite cost to himself, he loved the sinner and hated the sin. And if you are melted by the knowledge, stunned into silence by how he responded to our disordered rage, then when other people wrong you, you can do the same. And then you will be an agent for redemptive gentleness in this world. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, that anger is something that you handled so beautifully, so perfectly. In a surgical strike, you destroyed sin without destroying sinners. And you free us from our own disordered anger. You free us from responding to others in anger. You free us to be like you, slow in anger angry at the right things, angry at the, in the right ways. Oh, Lord, we aren't very close to all this. This is wonderful. We're outlining it all, but we are not wise. Make us wise. Make us wise. Give us what we need in order to be like your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Today's proverb a day in May comes from Proverbs chapter 14. And there are a lot of great proverbs here, but my favorite would have to be verse 12, at least my favorite right now. It's always changing, but at least verse 12 for today I think is very fitting. It says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. This is a theme, actually, throughout the book of Proverbs, as we're constantly being told to to choose our paths wisely. Who will we listen to? Will we listen to Lady Wisdom, who guides our path and directs us into the city that is safe? It's a crossroads. She's calling us in. Or do we listen to Lady Folly? who is loud and boisterous and, and often even louder than Lady Wisdom. We can hear her distinctly and she speaks directly to our desires, the things that we want. And, it, and in fact, here is a greater question. Are we willing to submit to God who knows what's best for your life or submit to your own way, your own thinking, your own strategy? See, God will not allow us to think that we are greater than God. He will not allow that. He is greater than us, and he is righteous and holy and just, and he will not allow us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. He will humble us in that way. But the devil has no problems in making us think that we're better than him. He doesn't, because he wants us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. He wants to fan that flame of of pride in our hearts and our lives, because he wants us, like he does, to think more of ourselves than God. There is a way that seems right to a man. We, we want to go down this path, but in its end, that way leads to destruction. The book of Proverbs is full of wisdom. And tomorrow, in fact, it starts off with what our theme has been for, for this weekend, the theme of an- anger. 
A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let me encourage you to follow along with us all month long in reading a proverb a day in May. Look at the calendar. What's the day on the calendar? Read that corresponding chapter in the book of, of, of Proverbs, and you will be encouraged as you meditate on God's word. I hope that we've been able to encourage you today and this weekend. If we have, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. <laughs>